Well, it's a new year. Are we going to keep democracy alive? With your help, we will. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. Stay tuned. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. The change in numbers on the calendar is, of course, quite arbitrary. The 60s, for example, didn't come to a sudden stop on January 1st, 1970, nor did what we've built up in 2023 suddenly take a dramatic turn now that it's 2024. It doesn't work like that. Though we so prefer to think of neat beginning and end dates for movements in history, such things are exceedingly rare. In fact, probably never really happen. It would be nice to have an orderly calendar, for example, when enslavement in America came to a sudden stop. But as so often the case, myth is so much more reassuring, though hardly ever accurate. And it messed up Nikki Haley, something fierce by the fact that slavery did not end in a dramatic moment. In fact, by another name, slavery continued well into the 20th century. And of course, systemic racism is built deeply into who and what America is. That's a fact. We don't want to see it, but that's reality. So we've turned the numerical corner from 2023 to 2024. So now what? Where are we? As my perhaps favorite returning guest, Patrick Lawrence, reflects, maybe there have been passages in history, there must have been, when those alive looked back with satisfaction at a year honorably and productively. Well, Patrick, you don't see 2023 as one of those. It's not all depressing after (laughs) all. History shows itself to move in many different directions simultaneously. Really. So where are we now? Will America survive as a democracy? Is it too late to save the earth itself? Will artificial intelligence free us or enslave us? Could there ever be as big a pop star as Taylor Swift? These are important questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's always a pleasure. Uh, Patrick, to have you back on Keeping Democracy Alive. Patrick Lawrence is a longtime columnist for a whole bunch of great magazines, essayist, critic, and lecturer. Some recent books are Somebody Else's Century, East and West in a Postmodern, Postwestern World, and one of my favorites, Time No Longer, America After the American Century. His most recent book is Journalists and Their Shadows, just out from Clarity Press, and his website is patricklawrence.us. Well, again, thank you so much for being back with us, Patrick. It's always a pleasure. It would be extremely counter to reality to look back on 2023 as a purely wonderful, productive, forward-moving time in our history. Yet, you are for this. I think we ought to look beyond the messes, cruelties, dishonesty, and corruptions to see the drift of things. A brief bit, a brief bit of the longue durée Martin Luther King and others operated from a basis of optimism. The optimism, bend, uh, the arc of history bends towards justice, so he posited. From the perspective of that long duration, the long durée, what, if any, evidence of this positivity did you observe from the year just passed? Well, Bert, first of all, it's wonderful to be back with you and your listeners. Delighted. A happy New Year to you and all of them. Um, And I will say this uh, uh, in response to your delightful introduction. 2023, I heard this on New Year's Eve. We must mark it down as the year Harvard 
uh, began teaching a course on Taylor Swift. There you go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I is mean, significant. Or there goes Harvard, anyway. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what is there to look back upon and... Um, and sense something and draw some, some positive for the long duration. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, as I sometimes have to mention in my columns, don't don't miss the optimism beneath the <laughs> apparent pessimism. Um, and uh, you know, the uh, I, I, it's it may come over a, a little bitterly, but I I mean it. Um, uh, when American foreign policy fails, it's generally a good thing mm-hmm. because a lot of things have to be undone before we can uh, begin building new things. Um, and uh, the Biden administration's foreign policies are, have have just proven among the worst in my memory. And um mm-hmm. Uh, if we look across both oceans, um, there have been quite dramatic failures. Of the, the Biden foreign policy people have brought it to the point where the Chinese were not, literally not even talking to us. Now they're talking to us just because Asians are courteous people by nature. Um, and uh, Ukraine, uh, we are being told uh, obliquely that um, the Kiev regime uh, uh, is in the process of losing this war, good. Um, and uh, the Israel-Gaza crisis really? is so absolutely unspeakable in so many ways. But yes. uh, it, it, it is, if there's anything uh, good to say about it, uh, America's bogus claim to a moral leadership or any mm-hmm. anything in that line uh, is now exposed. Um, yes. And I, I don't think America's position in the world will ever entirely recover from this. Right. Uh, yeah. So those are the sorts of things I mean, uh, and I mean them positively. Yes. Uh, yes. In that many more people now are becoming more aware of our genuine circumstances uh, beyond uh, the barrage of propaganda to which we are incessantly subjected. And that's a good thing. Uh, One little sort of thumbnail measure, um, I write for independent media now, and uh, so far as I can make out the readership uh, of, of various independent media is is growing uh, very rapidly and to me that indicates quite clearly to me uh, that people are looking beyond what we call legacy media, mainstream media mm. uh, for for true accounts of things. So this is you know, this is what I mean when I use the phrase long durée, what is the drift of things, right? Um, The Imperium is declining, uh, I think we can fairly say quite measurably now. Um, um, And um, 
the non-Western nations, uh, in, as I think I mentioned in the column with a sort of bizarre symmetry, uh, are emerging as more influential, uh, a more influential presence on the global stage. And um, that's what I mean, you know, the, you have to step back from what's on the front page of any newspaper on a given morning and say, where are things headed? I hope that's a useful answer. Oh, I think so. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm old enough to remember uh, our terrible, seemingly interminable war in Vietnam. Now we're doing business with Vietnam. We could have been doing business with them all along, all along. So the fact that that yeah. policy failed is a good thing. It's a good thing. And the mm. idea that, you know, America, uh, the American century, you know, what was called the American century began in 1945. It's, it's long been a myth. You and I have shared more than skepticism about what so many American leaders yeah. insist is American exceptionalism. I've, I'd always mm. despise that phrase. In that vein, you write, the American imperium's decline steepened the past year, the non-West's influence rose, and the rules-based order is now exposed as the appalling fraud that it is. That is a good thing, is it not? Talk about that a bit, please. In what ways that change is a very good thing and pretends a much better future for, dare I say, world cooperation? Well, the rules-based order, or the international rules-based order, as it sometimes is, um, has been an, a preposterous notion <laughs> from the very first. I'm not sure the Biden people originated it, but they've gone long on with it, right? Uh, particularly Blinken, uh, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State. Uh, and I think that, you know, to similar extent probably i haven't done metrics on it mm -hmm. jake sullivan the national security advisor these are the point people for biden's foreign policy um because biden is not himself physically or mentally capable of <laughs> advancing an administration's foreign policy anymore right uh, so these are the guys and um uh, they've referenced it at every turn, and I said a moment ago it's preposterous because somehow, well, a couple of things. First of all, it, it is it, it, it is a kind of a, a scam to uh, bypass the inter institutions of uh, post-1945 world order. Uh, what was wrong with the UN Charter? Right, uh, right. Why are we talking about uh, a, a rules-based order when we have the United Nations and numerous, numerous institutions uh, functioning as, as part of it? Uh, what is the rules-based order about? Well, uh, first of all, it, there's no need for it, even on the very face of it. Uh, second of all, we're never in, we're never told what the rules are. Uh, I, I will say with confidence, not one of your listeners would be able to explain to us what the rules of the rules-based order are. Uh, 
um, we're never told. Uh, well, so you do things and, our way and, or you don't do them at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it. You know, uh, it's, it's a euphemism for, um, we have cascading euphemisms here. <laughs> it's a euphemism for U.S. leadership. And U.S. leadership is a euphemism for U.S. hegemony. Yes. Um, and that's what the rules-based order is. Uh, a wonderful book that came out last year. Well, no, two years ago now, 2022. It moves quickly. By a, a, a good friend of mine named Aaron Good. I can't recommend it more strongly to your listeners. It's called American Exception. Okay. Mm-hmm. Subtitle, uh, Empire and the Deep State. All right. Um, Aaron uh, is a refugee from the academy. Uh, and he lives in Philadelphia, and he's got a very sharp mind, right? Uh, and when he says, when he uses the the, the phrase "American exception," it, it it it's different than American exceptionalism. And I certainly appreciate your remarks on that. Um, but by American exception. He's using it the way the notion of exception was deployed during the, you know, during the Reich and all that. Meaning, he who makes law is above the law. Uh Um, Oh, interesting. a, A famous Nazi theorist named Carl Schmitt uh, was prominent in in making use of this uh, concept f- for the Reich, right? You make the law, but you are outside the law. Um, a, a very fine um, Italian philosopher who is still with us called Giorgio Agamben has written well about this. Hannah Arendt wrote about it too. Uh-huh. Uh, um, and that's what the rules-based order is about. We will make the rules, but we are above the rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, this is what I mean in reply to your right. question, uh, that... Um, is is greatly in need of, of being exposed. Um, and 2023 did a pretty good job of exposing it for, for what it is. If if what is going on in the Middle East today, right. you know, it, it breaking tens of millions of hearts, um, yeah. uh, is, it, it is it comes under the heading of the rules-based order, well, your listeners can complete the thought. Oh, it's yeah, it's terrible, and and you know, rules based order, do things our way, and but I think what I hear you saying is that there's some degree of optimism because it is people are are not buying it quite so much anymore. There's yeah. more and more skepticism. I, I, I think yeah, uh, in the course of this past year, um, and it, the tail end of 2022. Um, as you suggested in your introduction, we don't have to be so strict about calendars. Right. Um, it became clear that uh, the Chinese um, 
and the Russians and um, others were becoming more and more alarmed um, at the disorder that the rules-based order represented. Um, the world was becoming exceedingly uh, violent um, and chaotic. And one could detect, if you follow these things closely, I do so as a matter of my profession, uh, that there was real genuine alarm. This is getting out of hand, right? Uh, uh, I think there was, uh, look, let's face it, we're both we're sitting in the most powerful country in the world, right? Uh, and, um, uh, uh, you know, peop, uh, others uh, must proceed with that in mind. Um, but I think uh, in the later months of 2022, at least that's when I began to notice it, there was genuine concern. This is getting out of hand. We are going to have to act uh, you know, we are going to have to assert ourselves. Um, and what I saw uh, over and over again in the course of 2023 were efforts by non-Western nations to um, coalesce either, well, either on their own or, or uh, to coalesce in uh, various alliances and yeah. you know, collective groups um, to begin advancing a new world order. So getting out the from last the last three yeah. words of that are, are uh, the Chinese talk about that um, quite a lot. Um, the, the Russians sometimes, uh, others in, have indicated quite clearly that they're prepared to dedicate themselves to developing it. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the more promising things going yes. on now. And um, numerous events in 2023 indicated that uh, it's, it's coming along. Uh, Mm -hmm. If we want to talk further about that, I, I have various things I want would like to say about it. Um, I, I think the first one is we are not talking about nations who are uh, prepared to I impose their right. political economy on others. Right? Uh, right. Uh, some of your listeners might say, "Oh, China is very authoritarian," et cetera, et cetera. But that's not the point. The point is, Afri um, Africa is, you know, something that the U.S. has passed up because it's not part of our rules-based order. But, but uh, the African people, I don't know, it seems to me with that uh, Belt and Road Initiative, uh, China is making good use of that and getting out from under this silly, non-productive rules-based order. May I proceed a little further? Oh, sure, please do. If you just tuned in, dear um, listener, by the way, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is one of our favorite guests, uh, Patrick Lawrence, longtime colonist, essayist, critic, and lecturer, and uh, he's written a whole bunch of really interesting books. We're talking about 2023 bleeding into 2024. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what I consider 
to be the most important uh, political documents so far in our century was published uh, in 2022. So we're cheating a little bit, but uh, um, it was issued on the eve of the Beijing Winter Olympics, February 4th, 2022. I know the date well because it was exactly 20 days before Russia moved on Ukraine. Um, And it was a joint statement issued in Beijing by uh, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin, Chinese and Russian presidents. It's a long, long title. I'll do my best. Uh, Joint statement on joint statement on a new international era of sustainable development or something like that. You listeners can find it at Kremlin.ru or um, FMPRC, Foreign Ministry of People's Republic of China, FMPRC.org. It's a, it's a 5,000 word statement, a really remarkable document. And um, uh, it, 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 um, it outlines what we're talking about here, right? Um, and um, in, in my read, one of the core reference, it's not a reference because they didn't reference it directly, but one of the core lines of thought in it uh, goes back to Joe Lai in the um, 50s when he advanced five principles for a peaceful coexistence. This was the basis to non-aligned movement. Um, and they were non-intervention in the affairs of others, uh, respect for mutual respect for sovereignty, um, uh, territorial integrity, um, uh, you know, uh, work to the mutual benefit of other na- of all nations. What a concept, etc. Five of them. Four of them had to do with not intervening in the affairs of others, um, one way or another. Uh, Territorial integrity, no interference in the internal affairs of others, et cetera. Uh, And when we talk about a new world order, that's a very important kind of block in the foundation. Um, uh, and, um, uh, I, I counted how to say it, how to say it. Uh, I, I counted the, the thought from which a great deal else proceeds. Right. Um, um, because hegemonic intervention on the part of the United States is, is you have to count it the primary source of disorder in the world yeah. today. Right. And every time it's tried, it fails. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, we keep doing it Spectacularly, horribly, messily, violently. Right? We keep uh, doing it over and over and over again. And you, you would think we would learn from history, but there are those forces that want to keep, you know, they have uh, fiscal uh, interest, perhaps, in having a rules-based order that benefits themselves, and never mind that it doesn't work, and that peaceful coexistence could 
work. And I think we're starting to see some signs of that coming out of, you know, the very last couple of years. You know, you can't say specifically just yeah. 2023, yeah. but it's, it's start, yeah. starting to happen. And, I, uh, I just read a, I, I, this this morning. I, I had, I, I, I edit for, a, I do the editing for a Swiss journal, uh, the English language version of this Swiss journal. And the piece I edited this morning uh, cited at great length and then analyzed a speech Kennedy gave um, a few weeks after the, was it a few? Yeah, a few weeks after the the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, Was that the one at uh, at, a commencement speech, June 6th, 1963? Yes, that's right. At, what was it, American University or something in Washington? Uh, I can't recommend that highly enough. Excellent speech. Yeah, I'm delighted you know of it. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, uh, He was dead a few months later, and you have to wonder whether. Yeah. But uh, um, the things he spoke of, uh, how we should proceed. And how we should never accept the notion that uh, global peace is some angelic idea, yeah. you know, uh, right. uh, you know, for Boy Scouts only or whatever, uh, and how it's it's uh, quite real um, and quite achievable. And here's how, um, y- you know, he was talking in that speech. I I remarked while I was editing this piece I mentioned that's and the reason this fellow was reviewing that essay uh, that speech in his essay um, is because it's what we need you know it's what we need now it's what the non-west is talking about actually mm-hmm. uh, in in western terminology you know, uh, and it does seem that the anyway. non the non West the, the we hear the term global South more and more these days. That's a relatively new term. It's it's something that's different, and people are seeing. Hey, it doesn't have to be just the global North running the show and having that rules based order imposed on everybody. It doesn't it doesn't work. There's another way of doing things, and things. You know, it, history doesn't change overnight. Unfortunately, it, t- it takes a lot of effort. A lot of incremental yes, little change yeah. but uh you know the, the the republican party these days such as it is is gone so far to the right they don't even talk about actual issues that you know legislators or executives can do anything about they talk about the the culture war they don't talk about what could best serve the common good uh and they they're they're engaged, and I, I just think this is a fascinating development. They're engaged in a campaign based on hate and fear of the other, whatever the heck yes. the other is. I mean, you look at all that. I mean, I'm in New Hampshire. I see the ads for Trump, and it's fear of of hate of the other people. Perhaps there's some good news. And I, I just recently discovered this. The, the, the culture war, there's something called Moms for Liberty. They were allegedly a grassroots organization, which was not really a grassroots organization, determined to bring mm. education back to the basics, i.e. banning books, insisting there's no systemic racism in America. They were determined to replace a Republican form of government with religious nationalism. And they seem yeah. to be doing exceedingly well. 
shockingly, the wind has gone all of a sudden out of their sails. And there are many school board races that they got involved in. They got their hats handed to them. They got squashed. The leaders are under arrest for sexual misconduct. These are the uh, moral, really? yeah, moral leaders. Of the, the, uh, there's, there's been allegations of rape and, uh, and three ways, whatever. I wonder well, if this is... Is a, all this going on in the Granite State? No, this is... I don't know where no. it's going on. It's going on a bunch of different places. Moms for Liberty. Check uh-huh. it out. They got their hats handed to them. I wonder if this is a hopeful sign that perhaps they didn't they didn't connect. They went to school board meetings, which are important places for making change. I mean, de- Republicans get that that doing it at the local level mm-hmm. works, but Democrats never get that. And I, I wonder if this might be a hopeful sign that perhaps the culture war is not so potent as manipulators intended, and maybe that's a good sign coming out of twenty twenty three as well. Let us hope. Let us hope. <laughs> and you know. Um, of course, this, one of the things that uh, one of the things, forgive me, w- one of the things that uh, one, we can take from that Kennedy speech, uh, yeah. uh, turning it around, using it as a mirror. That's what one was able to speak to the American people about in 1963, 60 uh-huh. years ago. Uh-huh. You could speak that way and be a national leader. What that tells us something about who we were, doesn't it? Yes. You know, and we were that once. Uh, we can uh, be well. There's no sort of repeating history, but right. um, we have these things in us. Uh, is what I'm saying, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we can. We can do things. People can do really bad things. People can do some really good things every now and yeah. then, and, and learn yeah. from it. Yeah. And one of the things I, I occasionally quote my dad, one of the quotes is that um, when old people get together, they do organ recitals. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but another thing he used to say is that figures don't lie, but liars figure. Which brings me to your yeah. comments about New York Times columnist Nick Kristoff. He looked at uh, numbers which produce what he cited as the current record low of child mortality. Aren't we great? Record low of child mortality. Talk about his abuse of statistics, please. Yeah, um, this is a this is a real favorite at the Times. Um, well, it has been for a long time, but especially now because the twenty twenty four election is coming. I, it's right here. I think that's going to be an absolute circus. Maybe we can talk about that. Yeah, but. Um, the 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 project now is to make the world we live in uh, look as good as it can look because the democrats are obviously somewhere near panic about running a, a mentally incompetent 81 year old <coughs> to, for for the white house so Nick, I, I knew Christoph in Asia, and you know he's sort of a he's he's got he's sort of I, I, I'm I'm fine with optimism. I'm an optimist myself, but uh-huh. Nick is just it's it's a compulsion, right? Uh, yeah. And um, okay, so here's what he did. He he the headline is I, I don't make it a habit of reading Christoph's columns, but um, this one, the headline was too much. 
I can't, I can't remember it. It was something like, yes, 2023 was a terrible year, comma, but maybe the best in the history of humanity. You got to read a column like that, right? <laughs> uh, what's he talking about? Uh, and um, I didn't finish it, um, but I got as far as his remark that um, a child. I got to warn your listeners: these following statistics don't line up at all. It's a it's a little game of hocus pocus. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, child mortality. Uh, yeah. Historically, comma, um, most children who died did so by the age of 15. Uh, but now, child mortality is at a record low, and um, only 3.6% of children who die die before the age of five. If your listeners can line up those numbers and tell me what's being said, they're, they're better than I am. Um, but uh, the, the main point here, first of all, it's, it's grotesque to, with what's going on in Gaza. It's right. absolutely grotesque to, 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 to be discussing this topic in, in any, it, it, with any even shade of optimism. Uh, uh, and, but second, the, the other point I wanted to make was this is what you get when people want to tell you everything is okay. Mm. They, they, they revert to statistics and other sorts of data that have no blood running in their veins and no particular relationship with reality as we see it out our windows. Right. Uh, um, the other person who is absolutely addicted to this mess. Whenever you're gonna, whenever you're gonna read, here's what I want to say to your listeners: whenever you're gonna, whenever you read a headline telling you everything is okay, mm. you can practically bet that uh, the piece is gonna rest on statistical matter, right? Uh. Uh, <laughs> and Paul Krugman. Yes is the absolute master of this. Uh, I think Krugman is actually tired at this point. He's Mm. repeating the same column over and over again. Mm. You get stale after a while if you're not. Anyway, um, he just can't understand why Americans don't think the economy is terrific. Because look at these statistics. The inflation rate is down. Right. And that's a trick in itself because inflation has the inflation rate has declined, but there's still inflation, right? Uh, um, and um, as your listeners may know, what they call core inflation, yeah. it, 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 the CPI, uh, Consumer Price Index, uh, measures core inflation. That's code for we don't include. Uh, energy and food costs. Mm. Wait a minute. If we're going to talk about inflation as it matters to Americans and we don't include food and energy costs, then we're really not talking. We're just playing with numbers. Uh, But Krugman, his columns now over and over and over again, 
I just don't understand why Americans can't accept that the economy is in terrific shape. That's his, and then you get the statistics. It's just no need it's to go playing with numbers. It's playing with numbers. Yeah, yeah. Lie, lie, figures yeah. don't lie, but liars figure. Another thing, right? And if you, again, uh, dear listener, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is keeping democracy alive. We're talking about lessons learned question mark from 2023 are we gaining uh, is, is there a reason to think that the uh, the long durée is headed in a good direction our guest today is uh, oh the eternal optimist uh, realist as well uh, patrick lawrence who we've had on, on before and one of the things that i care i'm not nick christoph <laughs> no that's for sure one of the things i care about a lot i always have is foreign policy but it doesn't seem like people ever vote on foreign policy uh, and the, the founders intended american foreign policy to be made democratically that instead of by a king by a dictator only congress could declare war we obviously learned mm -hmm. nothing from vietnam or afghanistan and then you know we got our tentacles out all over the, the red sea and what's going on there the middle east is mm -hmm. ramping up constantly between the saudis on one side and iran on the other it's kind of scary do you see any signs that we're learning not really terribly many I well, I don't so. know what you mean by we. Okay. Well, the U.S., uh, all right, our policy, the, yes, making changes the, in the, our policy. The policy cliques? No. Yeah, no. Uh, um, they're, they're going to have to, they're not, the policy people just don't learn, right? It's, it's not in their repertoire. No. Uh, history, that seems like a very simple blanket statement, but it's true. Oh, yeah. Look at history. They just don't learn. They keep repeating the same errors over and over again, right? Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> one of the really wonderful scholars of American foreign policy uh, in the post-war period, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, was a man named Stanley Hoffman. He taught at Harvard. Mm. Hoffman was Austrian, uh, grew up in Paris. I think his first language was French. And came to the States and professed at Harvard for a long, long time. And then uh, later in his career, he just uh, he went back to European affairs and somebody asked him why. And he said, because if you're writing about American foreign policy, you find yourself saying the same thing over and over again because nobody because these people are not capable of change, you know, uh, and that's true. But uh, I think uh, I what I think it's. Uh, I think you're probably right. Um, Americans don't vote on the basis of foreign policy, not not by tradition. Um, was Vietnam an ex was the Vietnam period an exception to that? I wonder. Um, and uh, you know, when I started writing foreign affairs columns long, long ago, it, it was it was. You know, it was the concern of a very of a, a very few people. Um, but I have noticed over the years that foreign policy is on a lot on the minds of a lot lot more people now. Um, and uh, I think uh, people are beginning to realize that um, the distinction between what we do abroad and our domestic circumstances is at the horizon uh, 
imaginary. Um, one of the lessons I learned as I went along in in my profession was we we had a choice in the 1890s. The the elections then uh, turned on. You know, this is before the Spanish-American War and so on, right? right? Uh, right. Um, we had the choice was empire abroad or democracy at home. Yes, that was the choice. Yes. It is not an oversimplification. No, you cannot have both. You have to have one or the other. And uh, in 1898, uh, well, but by, by the time of the Spanish-American War, that was the that was the turning point sort of event. But by that time, the decision was made. Um, and uh, Twain and all those other wonderful people in the Anti-Imperialist League um, understood this understood this this choice very very clearly. Um, and and one of the interesting things now that I see is that more and more people appear to be interested in foreign policy yes, yes. and more and more people are recognize that American foreign policy basically precludes a, a democratic uh, polity at home. I do find it interesting that even though, I mean, what she says is, you know, highly questionable, but the fact that Nikki Haley is saying America doesn't start wars, we, we end wars. I mean, it's not true, but the fact that she's <laughs> saying, yeah, really, the fact that she's saying that, you know, there's there's something going on where it's not, it used to be, you know, back in the late 60s, the left was against the war in Vietnam, but now th there's a lot of people on the right who say, you know, uh, we don't need to be projecting our military power all over the place. Maybe there's something else we can do with that. And that that's a big change, I think. That's that's we're not yeah. there yet, but we're we're getting there. And I wonder about yeah, I, I was I was gonna ask about democracy itself. I mean, I wonder how many uh -huh. how many people are concerned, you know, if democracy was on the ballot, do you want democracy or not? Does it motivate people? Does it does it motivate people to vote? I have no idea. <laughs> Interesting. I don't, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to come over to your listeners as overly cynical, but I think we, it is time we look squarely at ourselves and 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 remove uh, remove a lot of mythologies and and assumptions that we have lived with uh, since 1776, because they are obscuring realities that we need to consider quite squarely. Do we have a democratic process? I'm sorry to say, I don't think so. Right. Um, uh, the two things that I'm thinking of are uh, the 2010 uh, Citizens United decision. Mm. Can we summarize it by saying uh, the, the decision effectively declared that uh, Corporations are people, yes, uh, and have free speech rights. Yes, I just it 
it it verges on the ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but more than that, campaign finance in this country, you know, you pick up the paper and the Times will be writing about some election. Uh, there was that election we were discussing it the other day that that very interesting uh, candidate for an Ohio um, seat in the lower house uh, had a lot of good ideas and the Democratic Party uh, went into high gear to prevent her from getting into office with her very fine ideas and dumped millions into some horrible candidate they dug up out of nowhere. Mm. Um, uh, and when you read now of uh, of an election uh, competition, campaign season and all that, what does the Times report? The very first thing they report is how much money right. one or another candidate is running. You know, we all need to step back and say, what is being said here? What is it we are being told here? Well, we are being told, I hope I don't come over as overly sort of simple or reductionist, we don't have a democratic process if that's what's going on. That's just it, you know. Um, and um, the power of corporations in in our uh, political economy, I just don't see it. And I always, I'm always one for saying, if you want to get something done, you need to you need to be very honest about where you stand at the start. Um, and if you're not honest about where you stand mm. at the start, you're not going to get very far. Uh, and I think that's, I think we reach a moment where that's the project. Um, if we want a political process back, we have to recognize that we don't have one now. Well, as, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, one of the, the big stars these days, of course, is Taylor Swift. And if she happens to endorse Joe Biden for president, that'll be a big thing. But the weird thing is, it's as as it's so much about not a candidate's positions on any issues, but do people like him? Mm. Is he or she a celebrity? I mean, Barack Obama yeah. looked good. He played good basketball. You know, he came across well. <laughs> uh, Donald Trump, big celebrity. Biden, not so much a celebrity here. And, you know, it's like, yeah. do they look good on TV? I wonder, you know, can anybody be elected if you're not a celebrity? I wonder if you see any progress on this worrisome front. I, I just, you know, there are a lot of, uh, we wouldn't be talking and I wouldn't be spending my days the way I spend them that if I didn't have a lot of regard for Americans and all the millions and millions of us who, who uh, are, are right thinking and, and, you know, uh, want good things for this country and the rest of the world. But I have to say that, you know, there's the Kennedy, we just mentioned Kennedy. Yeah. Put, put Joe Biden next to Jack Kennedy. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, Take any, you know, it's it's just it's almost shocking 
to listen to a recording of Kennedy speaking yeah. from our perspective today, you know, uh, um, when did all this, you know, the celebrity bit was, was Reagan the first? I don't know. Uh, maybe you he know, was. Uh, I mean, John Kennedy looked better on TV, apparently, in this 1960 debate. But, but riding high in the saddle, you know, there's something yeah. that there's this psychological need for some sort of a hero, some sort of a celebrity, some sort of royalty. And how you get beyond yeah. that, boy, I don't know. It, it, yeah. it concerns me. I, I, yeah, I, I have to be honest. I, I don't think I, I'm able quite to square... Um, my uh, my faith in Americans, speaking generally, and uh, in in their intelligence, with um, what we're talking about here, uh, you know, looking good and uh, looking good and being popular and being pretty or handsome uh, gets you into office, you know. Um, yeah. I, I read I read a very fine book years and years ago called. Uh, American American sentiment, I think it was, and um, a very good scholar, uh, and uh, Burston, I think his name was, and he he explained that uh, he was a Jeffersonian scholar, right? Uh, he explained that in in, in the in, during the settler period, Americans distinguished themselves from the metropole in England by way of their affect. They were friendly and open mm. and informal and welcoming uh, and, and helpful, et cetera, et cetera, very communitarian, because that is the way they distinguished themselves from those hard-edged, nasty Brits, right? Um, and affect, I, I, I've always wanted to write an essay about this. Affect goes a very long way in American mm. public life. That's for sure. I think that's what we're talking about, you know? Uh, I was amused over the weekend Um you know, Biden is now, or was, in San Croix for, right. for Christmas. Right. And um, uh, ABC, great big network, sent a correspondent down there to, to do an interview with the president. <laughs> you, you know, uh, uh, the New York Post is quite a right-wing paper. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I'm not a New York Post person in general, but they do go after Biden. They don't miss anything. Um, and they're very interesting. Well, it does sell that. papers. Remember, this is, yeah, this is the paper that broke the Hunter Biden laptop story, oh, right? Uh, they're on Biden's backside all the time. Anyway, they, I didn't know anything about this interview uh, ABC did with Biden, but um, the Post reported that the one of the questions was, Mr. Biden, uh, uh, what are you eating? What kind of food are you eating oh, uh, over this holiday question? The Post was reporting it because Biden couldn't remember the answer, and his wife, Dr. Jill, 
uh, had to nudge him and say, ice cream. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but the point being, the whole project was to to make him seem friendly and right. good guy, ordinary working man Joe and all right. that sort of stuff. It's it's about affect. Affect. It's yeah. about affect. And, um, you know, uh, Al Gore, 2000. Mm-hmm. Gore's problem was... He was so, he was such a dry technocrat. Yeah. That's not what we want. No, you want a, a health um, fellow well met. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, uh, thanks for that. I, I take it from that. I'm getting my point across. You oh, know, I uh, think so. I got to ask about independent know. journalism. You are part of this. Okay. And I think this may be some, maybe something that good that's happening in, you know, as I say, history moves in many directions at the same time. CNN emerged in 1980. I, I was very hopeful about the possibilities of numerous cable, cable platforms. Uh, what's your, what's your take? Where is independent journalism now in terms of its reach into the market of the voting public and possible good things? Well, uh, this is the topic or one of them in the, in the book you mentioned, it, it's just out. It's called Journalists in Their Shadows. Um, and it's an argument. There are a number of arguments in it. There are a number of points I make. But the one pertinent now is that I, I think that the dynamism in my profession rests with independent media. Um, the relationship of whatever we wish to call it, legacy media, corporate media, mainstream media, mm-hmm. the, the relationship of these media to power is just utterly dysfunctional now. Uh, they, <coughs> pardon me, they function, <coughs> they function as the clerks of, <coughs> the clerks of the governing class. Uh, <coughs> it's, uh, it's never been, these media have never had excellent, uh, you know, the proper distance from power. But now it's, I, I think they, I'll leave aside whether they're retrievable or not. It's a difficult question. But the, when, you, when you think of the responsibilities of, of media to serve as an independent pole of power um, with the proper distance and detachment from those people and institutions uh, on which they are reporting. Right. It's independent media where you find that now. Um, and there's, there's all sorts of questions arise. The, the resources aren't there. In many cases, the professionalism isn't there, right. uh, et cetera. Uh, but I think these media are are maturing. The ones I write for are filled with well-trained people who are refugees from mainstream media. So they have skills, you know, they... They have professional skills, professional yeah. ethics standards, and so on, right? Yeah, really. um, and um, uh, you know, uh, it's it's early days. The first of these 
media to appear, it was only 1995, right? Uh, that was uh, Consortium News, one, uh-huh. where I publish now. Uh-huh. Um, so it's only what, uh, not even 30 years. Uh, so it's 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 early days, but the vitality, the the dynamism, is in these media, you know. Uh, well, that's good news. And um, there, the the mainstream they had a monopoly on on information for who knows how long and i i, I think the the battle the the censorship regime which mainstream media cravenly cheers on um what we're looking at is a combat in defense of their Monopoly and their mm-hmm. their monopoly has been destroyed, right? Uh, uh, you know, people. I've talked to people all the time. I read the Times and the Post and all that. Uh, um, but I talk to people all the time who they never read these papers anymore, mm-hmm. uh, and they're quite well informed. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, I as I say in the book, uh, uh, I have a lot of faith in in where media can go, uh, but it's a battle. Um, uh, Consortium News uh, has been, we've, we've now got a lawsuit going against these censorship oh, wow. uh, it, or organizations. They, they dress themselves up as nonpartisan. If you look at them closely, they're basically State Department and CIA fronts. Oh, of um, course. Of course. Uh, I can't say more because there's a lawsuit. But, ah, uh, indeed. Uh, it, it just to illustrate that you know it's a very sharp uh, confrontation. Uh, your listeners may be aware of what was exposed in the Twitter files, as they're called. If they're not, they can look up Twitter files and they'll see the whole story uh, of of insidious government censorship uh, by way of uh, Silicon Valley, right? Um, well, a republic you know. if we can keep it. That's what uh, uh, Benjamin yeah, Franklin said. Great. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I mean, one of the vulnerabilities of of independent media is we're, we're dependent on digital publishing platforms. Mm. Um, and this dependence is, it's, it leaves us vulnerable because these uh, you you can get you can get shut down at any time. Oh, um, well, there's so much more know. to talk about here, but uh, if people are interested in following your work, and it's always interesting work, and I will recommend once again if you haven't heard John Kennedy's speech from June 6, 1963, at American University, Google it. It's what could have been. Mm. Ah, oh, it's amazing. Yes. Uh, but the, yeah. the, but yeah. our guest today, PatrickLawrence.us, his most recent book is Journalists and Their Shadows. So some degree of hope, looking at the long picture, it's an interesting place where we are. Thank you so much for being with us and keeping democracy. A pleasure, alive. Bert. Let's go into the new year making the most and best of it. Thank you. If you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. And if you find the information valuable, your friends probably do too. Please ask them to also subscribe. It's on Apple, Spotify, 
Progressive Radio Network, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course, the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thanks very much.